the center of the jewelry universe can arguably be called Bangkok. Jewelry sort of an interesting gig. You got to know people. And about a month after arriving, a major overthrow happened. I, I do have guns back in Colorado. When you're, when you're here as a visitor, as a guest to their country, you can't, we can't have guns. And I tell you what, I've never wanted my guns more than anything else in the world. <laughs> when a coup happens, the TV just is, doesn't work. The yeah. news doesn't, isn't on. The internet doesn't work. Nothing works. So you're just sitting in your house and you're just hoping to God they're not coming and looting and shooting and killing people. And- we stand today. The business method the business with method. a shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome to the Business Method Podcast, where we examine the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. Our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we wanted to get behind the minds the logic and the science of what it takes to build a business like this we've had some incredible guests like bobby edwards the founder of squatty potty who built a 35 million dollar per year company with just 17 employees and jp sears the youtube superstar whose videos are going viral all over the internet i'm your host chris reynolds and we hope you enjoy the show the business method Could you imagine opening an international jewelry warehouse in Bangkok, Thailand? The first thing that comes to my mind is a hell of a wild ride. Our guest today is Greg Buda, and he is the founder of Spokes Jewelry and the Jewelry Republic. Greg started his working life in the Marine Corps, serving in the Iraq War in the early 2000s. He shares about some adventures at war and how it helped form him into the man that he is today. Later in the show, Greg talks about the details of the jewelry business and some fun adventures he had along the way. And lastly in the show, we chat about choosing the right people to have in your life and what it's like to build a seven-figure business with your spouse as your business partner. It's an incredible ride, you guys. And without further ado, let's welcome Greg to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. And calling in all the way from Bangkok, Thailand, we have Greg Buddha on the show. And that's uh, B-O-U-D-A-H, not like Buddha, 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 but Greg Buddha. That's your real last name, right? Welcome to the show, Greg. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. You, you nailed it. Okay, good. Well, you never know. Coming in, Th- in Thailand, there's a lot of expats down there. And somebody could go, travel to Thailand and be like, I don't like my last name anymore, but I like Buddha, so I'm going to rename myself Greg Buddha. B-U-D-D-H-A. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. How are you? I am very good. It's a, uh, a lovely... Typical balmy day here in Bangkok. It, we're in the middle of the rainy season. So uh, between uh, rain and the typical heavy traffic and a very busy workload between my two companies, we're great. Nice. So I go to I, I travel to Bangkok every year for some business, and then um, we do our events up in Chiang Mai uh, every October and November. And um, I'm curious about why why you like Bangkok personally. Great question. So it's, it's just part of my my my, my business um, path. 
is the center of the jewelry universe can arguably be called Bangkok. Mm. Um, all gemstones are traded here from all the way out of Colombia. The bulk of them are moved over here to be traded. Sapphires, stones from Sri Lanka, Africa, different parts of the world, they're really here. In addition, there's a whole lot of really skilled labor in my town. Um, I work in a, my factory is in an industrial estate, which is sort of like uh, a jewelry zone, kind of sponsored by the government. And um, my neighbors are Pandora, for example, and they're 25,000 juggernaut of employees. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so that, that's how in kind of why Bangkok is the density of, of raw material, the density of labor, and the... Um, yeah, it's just, you can find worse places on the map to live. <laughs> Which part of the city are you in? We, I mean, my home is pretty much in Bangkok, in the in the center, in in, in the outskirts. It's like in a mini burb. Just Bangkok is such a huge city. It's like at least like sixteen million people or something. So um, we're not like at the intersections of the city as at the, at the middle of the town, but we're we're uh, we're definitely in the city. And my factory is over by the new airport. Call it swampy. That's yeah. Very cool. And you've been there since 2006? Yeah, we moved here in 2006. And uh, was, I was asked to run a, just actually start a company, and um, which I did for another firm. I was an employee. I was a director of the company. And uh, we got here in August of 06. And then, the, if you recall in the news, the government here is kind of getting up and down and up and down for pretty much since we moved here. Yeah, and about a month after arriving, the, the a major overthrow happened with the, uh, the the prime minister at the time. He was uh, overthrown by one guy, and then there were six or seven subsequent guys. But uh, the first time, we were really freaked out, my wife and I and my dogs. But um, you kind of get used to coups when they become sort of frequent. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. You know, um, I spend quite a bit of time down in Rio de Janeiro. And right now, that city, the whole country of Brazil really is in just utter chaos. And yeah. um, the past two years, especially, you know, governments, you know, politicians are going back and forth and being murdered and it's not safe on the streets. It's a wild, wild place. Um, but yeah, I know that I know that feeling for sure. I, I want to dive into your business and the jewelry industry. I'm sure you've had many wild adventures. Um, but let's get to know you a little bit. I, I, I was reading your bio and you have um, an interesting background, you know, serving in the military, being a real pure 100% redheaded stepchild. And, um, but you have a, an interesting background, so I'd love to just give you the mic and roll with it for a little bit. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. It's nice to, um, be able to talk about it because it, it all culminates to, you know, who I am at the moment and, um, it's uh, evolution and I'm quite proud of where we are today with our businesses and where we plan on taking them. And, uh, I guess it, I mean, I, I'm going, I'm not going to go all the way back to uh, the beginning of my life, but my, uh, I do have a stepfather. My, my biological one died when I was a baby. And um, my stepdad, he was military as well. And he, it, it, it kind of encouraged me that, not him, but that encouraged me to get into the military. And as far as back as I could remember, I wanted to join the Marines. 
And uh, I did. And I'm going to date myself here. But in 1993, I entered boot camp in San Diego. And um, as guaranteed infantrymen, that's all I wanted to do in the Marines was uh, fight effectively. <laughs> and um, my, uh, I guess, uh, my, my stepfather kind of put a nice chip on my shoulder, which I think I have used, I use today as an advantage um, to push and to grow my business and myself and to keep an edge. Um, back then, I probably needed that chip to be a little bit I don't know, controlled a, a wee bit because I was a bit uh, <laughs> bound, <laughs> boundaryless. Um, not to, I didn't get myself in too much trouble, but I joined the Marine Corps and had a great time. Um, I, uh, I served as an infantryman, then I went and did embassy guard duty, and then I went and uh, joined the reserves and became a Ford Observer. And as a Ford Observer, my unit got activated and we, we got um, – we got activated in uh, OAF-1 in 2003, and it's the weirdest thing. Like, the, like you know, after all the years of training and uh, you know, a, a, some sort of – as a Ford Observer, we trained to do, you know, indirect fire and fire maneuver and fire maneuvering and things like that. And all, as an infantryman, very regularly calling for fire and all these things I've been many, many years of working on. And then when, it, when it's go time or going to war – these two guys from Washington, D.C. show up and they change our entire artillery battery to a mortuary affairs unit, like overnight. Mm -hmm. And so so all of us were like, ah, OK, so we're now mortuary <laughs> affairs. What the hell does that mean? So we uh, so these two dudes from D.C., I mean, literally, you know, they're wearing short sleeve shirts and ties and they just look like the typical dweeb out of D.C. <laughs> We're, we're gunfighters and, you know, we're ready to, I mean, back then, if you recall the news, like we're all, we're, everybody's ready to go kill everybody. And, and, um, so everything changed and we ended up in Iraq for, uh, the bulk of 2003, um, uh, doing mortuary affairs work and, um, it's quite, uh, a serious job, quite, uh, an eye opening job, quite a, uh, serious, uh, a very important job. And, um, in hindsight, I'm very happy that uh, I was there with my, 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 basically my scout section from a, my Ford Observer section, that we were able to do what we were able to do, and uh, not have to call for fire on top of people all over the place. If you don't mind, just share a little bit more about what what that in job entails, because I don't know. I mean, I can get an idea okay. from the description, yeah. but. Yeah. Sure. That's yeah. So I'll give you my first 24 hours in Iraq. Um, so of course we're hanging out in Kuwait, of course, you know, sitting around all the time. And then, um, we finally get our plane and the objective of the mortuary affairs unit is to, when, when, when a Marine gets killed, we go and collect the remains, process the remains and move the remains down effectively the supply chain. And so it, it's, it's, the, the, the actual process is, is um, I, I was a section head, so my job is to meet with, let's say, the, the, the company gunny, who two of like his managers died. And I meet with the company gunny, and we take the remains, and we sit, we just, you know, basically we put a body bag on the ground. And I have two guys to my left, two of my Marines on the left, two of my Marines on the right. Uh, the Marines on the left, we, de we designate them what we call, quote unquote, clean hands. So I get two Marines on the right. And we call them, quote, unquote, dirty hands. The clean hands guys have notebooks and uh, clipboards. 
and they take notes of the uh, injuries and the, uh, or the, the 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 damage to the remains, and um, and they log the weapon serial numbers, the personal effects that the the dirty hands guys are physically removing from the marine who's dead. Mm. Um, obviously, this is this is like literally the. You, you remove a grenade and you put it over to the side. You remove a, a nine millimeter pistol and you move it to the side. And and the clean hands, man, they're literally documenting this and the wedding rings, the wallets, everything in the wallets. It's really quite a hell of a, a hell of an event. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's, you know, there's typical supply cards that get documented and, uh, you know, document, you know, where, where would, what kind of damage was taken to the body. And um, then we, you know, we, we, we seal up the body bag, and then, you know, you you, 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 you transfer that to another unit, and then that unit you typically would take a, take the remains to a bigger base, and then all the way to Germany, then all the way to the home of record, and it goes down down to down to that process. So we when we got when we first landed in Iraq, you know, if you fly into from Kuwait into Iraq, if you recall, anybody who's done this thing, you fly in those C one you know C one thirties, you know, you do those, you know, I don't know what they call them in the air wing but you know they, they fly like they're drunk and they just fly around up and down <laughs> and you're just a bunch of dipshits in the in the back of the airplane bouncing around <laughs> and then we land in a place called i knew where we were going because uh i was the uh head head staff nco and it, and it was a city called al kut and we landed in al kut at dusk and i'm not kidding you chris we were walking off the back of the plane and there's probably my you my, my squad had about 12 guys and we walk off to the back of the plane. It's, it's kind of got that weird dusky glow and dirt everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and I get approached right off the bat by a, a major. And he says, Staff Sergeant Buddha, we got uh, three Marines that just got killed. Go process the remains. I mean, I'm not talking 10 feet off the back of this damn C-130. Wow. Yeah. So, so um, and you don't know. I mean, it, this is 2003, March or April. And um like you really don't know what's north south. You know north is, but you don't know where you are, what the conditions are. Are, are there gunfighting happening out in the street? It's sort of kind of a really weird feeling when you get off a plane in the middle of a combat zone, mm-hmm. and you have to go do your function, which is process these marines who just got killed by a RPG explosion. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that information yet, but we went and sat down. I got my guys. I got half half of them over there getting their stuff together and setting up a little. Uh, a little hooch for us to sleep. We have to we have to drive the next morning halfway across the country through through Anbar to another city called Diwania. But um, that's the the next thing we got to do. So you know, within 20, 30 minutes, my guys, I got them sitting down, and we processed three Marines who were killed. Um, one Marine uh, had an RPG go off right in front of him, and the other two Marines were able to look away. And um, so they got all the damage to the back side of them in the rear of the head. And then the other guy took it square in the front. Hmm. And um, it's really an interesting uh, first hour. It ended up being a several hour process. But the first the first hour was quite intense on you on us emotionally. Um, I've got this corporal between my legs who's dead. And I mean, I don't know what they tell you in the movies, but if you try to close their eyes, they don't really close. In fairness, it's not how it really worked. And um, it was a hell of an event, and I'm glad that we were there to do it because we dealt with those Marines honorably. And then um, I remember laying down after we got done. We put the Marines, uh, the dead Marines, we put them in the in a five ton or seven ton, and uh, they were moved on to another uh, place. 
and um, I told my rings to hit the brack because we had to get up in a couple of hours to drive across the country to a hodge. So we're all keyed up because there's thousands of guys in what we were calling man dresses at the time. Uh, we're about to drive through them. So we were pretty hopped up. And um, I remember laying down. I haven't told it, but it's a personal friend. But I remember getting my Marines to bed, and then I laid down, and I just couldn't. My anxiety was going like a million miles an hour. And to be dead honest with you, I up, I went and puked in a ditch. Hmm. And I felt a lot better, and I slept for a, for a minute. <laughs> I woke up. <laughs> Put a, bunch, put a bunch of typical regular. Now we find our Humvees that were meeting that were already there, our trucks and stuff. And of course, we don't have turrets or we don't have tripods for our 50 cows. The old, the ring for the 50 cow doesn't work. <laughs> so we're sandbagging and strapping machine guns to Humvees and five tons or seven ton trucks are. And just, you know, the typical duct taping it together. And <laughs> it, was a, it was a hell of a first day. I'll mm. tell you what. Wow, man. Wow, that's intense. Okay, what happened to, to okay, after your time in the military um, and in starting your business? Great. Um, so, again, when I, that, that, at that phase of my life, I was a reservist. Um, so, after my, that, you, that deployment to Iraq, I came back and we stayed on active duty for another several months. And then uh, at that point, I was either going to get out or, or re enlist. And I, I, would, I was already working in the jewelry industry just as my job, my normal civilian job. And I was a production manager for a company in Denver. And um, uh, so I started, I, 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 at that point, I, I left the Marine Corps. I said, okay, I gave the Marine Corps every opportunity to kill me and moved on. <laughs> and so I became a production manager for this, this, this jewelry company in Denver. And my function was to manage some overseas production. And then um, I got laid off um, not too shortly after I got back from Iraq. Um, I got laid off, and um, but immediately this one of my vendors, a diamond company, called me from Belgium, and they said, "Hey, we want you to come start a company for us over in Thailand because we're going to be doing a lot of manufacturing, and we need somebody to run it. And we're diamond people, and we don't know anything about jewelry." And I was, I immediately, I mean, hey, I had no job for a couple of weeks, <laughs> and I immediately said, "Yeah, sure." And um, I, I had no idea how to set up a company overseas. I had no idea how to manage an international business but i said yeah sure and i jumped my ass right into it my wife left her job she was working for uh, world savings alone as a human resources manager and we had a we had a house in denver we have all kinds of stuff going on but we went where the money is we did not sit there and wait for something to, um we didn't let it take over our lives we took charge of it and moved forward it was a very good opportunity in reality uh, the number, the, the salary was right, and the opportunity was right, and uh, we took it, and I ran with it. And you know, shortly thereafter, I was in Belgium for a short period of time, kind of hanging out with the company, learning the company, and then um, I was I was in Bangkok, and I was setting up a company. Nice. And that's how we that's how we got here. What what year was that, Greg? That was two thousand six, and like right when we got here. Of course, months later, they threw the government over. And I was like, Jesus, man. And that, you, you, I, I, I do have guns back in Colorado. I'm a big fan of guns. And um, uh, when, you, when you're here as a visitor, as a guest to their country, you can't, we can't have guns. And I tell you what, I've never wanted my guns more than anything else in the world. Because, <laughs> I mean, you did, like my, at two o'clock, when, it, when a coup happens, the TV just is, doesn't work. The yeah. news doesn't, isn't on. The internet doesn't work. Nothing works. So you're sitting in your house 
and you don't really know much because you're new to the city and you're just hoping to God they're not coming and looting and shooting and killing people. And so <laughs> I had two four year old English bulldogs that we carried from Denver mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, bulldogs look fierce, but they're pretty lazy. Yeah. Yeah, they are. <laughs> All right. And that's it. Was that the current business that you're running today? The, what- um, no, that was, I was running somebody else's company at the time. Um, that was their money, their company, their stuff. And right. um, I did that for years. And then my, what I did was uh, my wife and I were talking. We're like, okay, now we know, now we're, our, our, our eyes were expanding. Our minds were expanding. We're learning. And we're saying at one point, we're making other people really successful off our sweat equity and, and, and the work the work I was doing. My wife, um, you know, she wasn't working for the guy, but she's my wife, and I bounced everything off of her, and she's really smart. And um, she's my macro to my micro, which is awesome. And um, so what we decided to do is we're going to save a bunch of money, and we're going to start our own company and do everything that these other companies are doing, but we're going to do it ourselves. And that's what we did. We just socked as much money away as we could for a couple of years. We got completely debt free, which is really freeing. I don't know anybody out there. If you are not debt free, the moment you get debt free and then you save eight, nine, ten months of cash and then you save on top of that, it's you, you don't care what happens in your life. It really is very, very freeing. So I, we call, did that. I call that a, a financial orgasm. Because it man, feels it was, good, man. <laughs> yeah, and you don't let it go. Like we still have eight months in emergency reserve. We don't have any debt, and um, it it is really good, Chris. You know this. I mean, yeah. it's just like it's, <laughs> it's, it doesn't matter what. But close my company tomorrow. I'm good. Yeah. And when I say eight months, I mean all the dinners I have today. My life doesn't change. Nothing changes at all. I don't have to go into like austerity mode. Just keep rocking. So it's. It's, it took a lot of hard work and discipline to do it, for sure. However, man, it's good. Yeah. So uh, we started this company. Uh, we started our factory, which is called Spokes Jewelry Services, in 2011. Um, we cut in December of 2010. We went, to, we went on vacation, and we already had everything prepped. My attorney was organized, and the registration and all the companies. Had a website was done. Everything just had to be turned on in January. And we turned it on. I had one customer kind of in the wings that asked her to send me some orders, and I got one order. And we were crawling, and then we were walking, and now we're running. <laughs> are you are you an actual uh, American business or a Thai business? Good question. I am an American business. We're, and only Americans have the right to have their business in America. If you're a French, for example, or you're Spanish or Italian in your situation, not that you're a Thai. I think you was living in Italy. But if – you want to come here and you're not American and you visit their country, you have to have a Thai own 51% of the company. And um, that's just how they set it up. America, because of how what we did for Thailand during the war of Vietnam, we have this special treaty that allows Americans to own their company outright. So the ownership is me, my wife, and uh, my brother-in-law. Very cool. Okay, I've got a lot of questions for you, but first I kind of want to dive into the jewelry industry because I, I know very little, if anything, about mm. it. And um, I you know, I don't know the picture in other people's heads when they think of like the jewelry industry, but what comes to mind is like similar things uh, that come from the diamond industry. Um, and you know, that's a crazy world, a crazy and can be a very dark world too. Is the jewelry industry similar or, or, you know, what's it like from your perspective? 
Great question. It's so so the jewelry industry is actually quite well, well regulated, and all the riffraff have been weeded out. Um, everybody like we for diamond buying. Like every time I buy my diamonds, I buy my diamonds from companies that are part of a process called the Kimberly process. The Kimberly process is an international standard of of rules that say when a diamond comes out of the mine, it is tracked from a good mine that follows proper labor laws and proper governance. And those diamonds are are sent to London, which are then registered, then they're sent to a manufacturer, then they're they're cut into polished diamonds, and then they're distributed to retailers who then or or, or wholesalers who then I buy them from the from them or I buy them from the factory. So the diamonds are clear. The same process is under a different name for the colored stones, and the gold industry is also covered colored or um, or covered by these sets of rules, these gold standards. So the people that um, are are operating today are really really quite above bar. I mean above board. It's really so now what that means is um, transactions are all done by vouchers. There's nothing done by cash. Years ago, DiCaprio made that movie, which was right on. But you know things would be paid in cash and be kind of traded. And nobody really cared where the source was. All that stuff has been eliminated. And now, you know, like if you were to come to my factory today, there's 30 people. They're all in nice benches. We have great air conditioning. They have, you know, a typical break, lunch in the morning uh, or uh, a break in the morning, lunch, and then break in the afternoon. Uh, they have accident insurance and uh, they have their this country has free medical insurance. So but I, I, I uh, Mike, well, I decided years ago that we, we augment that with accident insurance so that they don't have to pay out of pocket in the event something, you know, they stab themselves with a knife. <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time. They, they all drive motorbikes and they crash them all the damn time. Oh, yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, if, uh, it looks like a typical industry um, that you would find in the United States and uh, it's quite well regulated. So what we do here in our factory is we work with brands all over the world and we design and um, manufacture branded jewelry for them. Like, you know, if you see – um, you see a woman on the red carpet. Let's see, Charlize Theron. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jen- the, the, who's that girl from Hunger Games? Jennifer. Uh, You're asking the wrong really guy. <laughs> that, uh, anyway, uh, uh, anyway, they really uh, like Charlize Theron, um, Kate Hudson. These women that they're wearing jewelry that I made. However, the brand that works with me, they you know when Jennifer Hudson says, "Oh, well, where'd you make? Who, whose earrings are those on the red carpet?" They don't. They'll say some brand. Wow. Well, the brand works for, works with me, um, and they're not giving me the credit, which is fine. I don't need the credit. It's all right. Um, so we and we that we're collaborating with the brand owners in New York and Chicago and in L.A. and and in in Belgium and in Denmark and in London. We're all over the place. Um, so so what we'll do is we'll help them, and, and we'll uh, I'll get an order from a client in New York, and it might be you know forty fifty units, forty fifty designs. Um, and what I'll do is I'll, 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 I have, I'll, I'll go buy gold. I'll get the diamonds organized. I'll get the designs and I'll cast everything. And, um, we use some pretty good technology too. It's all about 3d printing lasers, laser welders, um, laser cutters. And then, then there's a little hand artistry going on. We use only microscopes to set our diamonds, um, 30, 40 power. My guys are into the piece, the little jewelry that you see with tiny little diamonds. Mm-hmm. Some most companies would use it would be using a uh, kind of like a naked eye to set the diamonds. I invested in a whole bunch of microscopes years ago, and um, 
So my staff get really great detail. So that's one of our, our, our cutting edges that we can, that we, uh, that, that, that are, it sets us apart is our precision and our, our quality. And it just, I just magnify everything and it just makes it a lot easier. to. <laughs> it's, I think it's like a brilliant move, but uh, just magnify the hell out of it. And you, <laughs> <laughs> Hey gang, we want to remind you that today's episode is a two-part interview. The next interview will be published tomorrow, so be sure to check out that episode too. And we'll see you soon. Hey listeners, thanks again for joining the show. We wanted to remind you about our Get Shit Done one-on-one productivity coaching that we recently just launched. What we do is work with you to create big business goals that are absolutely game changers. We make a plan together and put you in our productivity hacking system that helps you stay on target. Each week you get a call with yours truly about what steps to take for the following week. Some say it's like a year of productivity in just three months. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching. Thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching.